Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Have you checked the children? children. I want to play a game. The box. You opened it. We came. This is the All America Welcome to the latest edition of the All-American Spook Show Podcast. I'm Josh. I'm joined here with Donnie. Yo. Will. Hey, hey. And the Professor Smoke. What's up? And today we're going to be talking about a movie that we've had in the back pocket for five years. Because literally next week, we're going to be celebrating our fifth anniversary proper. As we always wait till Halloween to kind of celebrate it. But technically, uh, I think we're actually past our uh, fifth anniversary, the actual date. You know, "Quote unquote," the I think the date would be the airing of the first episode, uh, and I don't have that with me. But that was like mid October 2018 when we did that. So technically, we're already past the fifth anniversary, but we mm-hmm. always celebrated at Halloween. So we're, we're kind of uh, waiting to have the full festivities next week. But this is the, the movie that we're talking about today. Though we, we've had it stowed away, we've waited. Uh, we didn't necessarily wait to this point on purpose. It was just kind of like, well, let's just wait till the right time to do it. Because this is a really big one, and we've done a lot of big ones over the past year, but I think this one, if it if it's not as good as those, it's better than those. And we're going to be talking about Halloween from nineteen seventy eight, the original, the one that started it all, the 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 original uh, Michael Myers flick. Uh, not our first uh, John Carpenter movie. I think our first one was finally just this past summer when we did the thing, right? I don't think we had done another one before. No, we hadn't. So we had already introduced John Carpenter, but you, one could argue whether or not this is John Carpenter's best. I mean, and I'm sure maybe we can get into that debate between the thing and this one. And, you know, maybe if somebody else wants to throw a wild card in there, but either way, I mean, clearly this is, you you could at least say this was the beginning of his prime years, right? Right here with this one, Uh, a a slash one, one of the movies that kind of defined the slasher genre for sure. And um, and I'm sure we'll get into all that jazz here today. So, um, but before we dive into it, as always, we want to remind you, first and foremost, this is important today too. We are a spoiler filled podcast. So if you've never listened to us and if for some reason, what are the fucking odds at this point <laughs> that you've never seen Halloween, the original from 1978. But if you haven't, you want to, you want to go ahead and pause, go watch it and then come back because we are going to spoil it. And also, uh, we want to remind you to go check out aaspookshow.com. That's the center of the Spook Show universe. From there, you can get to our podcast archives, all of our content all over on YouTube. we got lots of series, uh, different takes on stuff, shorter form videos and stuff over there. Also, our Patreon, patreon.com slash aaspookshow, where every month you get Craftsterpiece Theater, video minisodes, uh, all kinds of cool stuff going on over there. Uh, so you don't want to miss out on any of that. So go to aaspookshow.com to find all that stuff. That's the easiest place to find it. So without any uh, further buildup, 
Let's go ahead and toss to the trailer for Halloween. Halloween night. A small American town. 15 years ago. Eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. And totally charted. Just Sure, sure. The only reason she babysits is to have Halloween. <laughs> okay, Linda. Come on out. There you go. That's that. So I guess we can take a minute here to talk about our histories with this movie, right? Because obviously this is well. Well, I'm not going to say that with you. This isn't the first time you've seen it, is it? No. Okay. So th- I can tell you the first time that I've seen it, but no, I've seen it multiple times. So, yeah, and, and I'd say the same for all of us, right, Donnie? Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and smoke. Same. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it 147 times. Own it on every format. Uh, but like Will was, I really can't remember the first time. I don't remember the experience of watching this the first time around anymore. Cause I, I don't know, just seeing it so many times, I guess over the year. Yeah. I've honestly, forgotten the first. Honestly, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I want to say pro- the first time I probably watched it might've been on like, you know, an edited version on local TV or something T- back in the day, probably, but I don't really recall the very first time, but have you, have you guys ever seen that video that, that I, I've seen floating around a number of times uh, that supposedly, the, the climactic moment of the movie, you know, when, uh, Lori and Michael are, uh, you know, fighting back and forth, she's running from them and all that. Mm-hmm. And then you know, to get into the, the way it ends, you know, which we'll get more into later when he sits up all, all the climactic moments all the way to the end. Right. Have you ever seen that clip where it's supposedly the audience reaction to that? So it's like, you're watching it, but you hear the audience in 1978, 
reacting to these moments. Supposedly. Yeah, I have not. I I haven't seen it. I haven't seen what yeah, you're it, referencing. It's just you're watching the movie, right? You're you're just watching, let's yeah. say, like the last five to ten minutes of the movie. But in the background, it's an audience. It's the audience reaction to, like, say, the audience watching it in 1978. So I guess someone recorded in the audience audio of people screaming and gasping and everything while they're while they're watching this in 1978. It's really cool. So they have like a director, well, kind of like a commentary, kind of a separate audio track with that playing while you're watching the last bit of the movie. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Or, or like basically, I guess it's just they just took the audio recording from people watching it and then they just applied it to the last five or 10 minutes of the movie, you know? So you can kind of, it's on the DVD. No, I don't even, honestly, I don't even think it's on the DVD. This is something I saw on YouTube or, you know, something like that in the past handful of years, but I, I, uh, I'll try to find that link and I'll send it out and I'll post it to the socials or anything if I can find it. But it's really cool to get that reaction of, Mm. of people watching this, in 1978, and like Michael sits up, you know, he does the Undertaker setup and all that, which we'll get into. Uh, everybody just starts screaming and stuff, you know, like it's just, you can tell it's just like this is the most horrifying thing, you know, people have seen up to this point in 1978. It's pretty good. Um, needless to say, I think we all, you know, have watched this movie a number of times and we've all enjoyed it, but uh, will it hold up? That That's the, the age old question. <laughs> Of our of yeah. our friends over on the uh, Travis Roy Cinema Nine. Cinema Nine podcast, that's their question. Yeah. Will this hold up? What what are our, what are our star ratings and our thoughts on it? We'll get to that at the end. You want to stick around for that? But um, I guess I'll go ahead and get into some of the background information. Lord knows there's a lot, and I'm I'm going to open up the floor to you guys to throw some uh, extra stuff out there. But I, I found the usual information and a couple other bonus things. Um, alternate titles for this movie. We've got the complete title, which is just John Carpenter's Halloween, right? Then there mm-hmm. was a promotional title that I found, uh, where, which I'm I'm guessing would have been used in the build-up to this uh, coming out. And it was just called He Came Home for Halloween, which is one of those lo- weird, long Italian titles, right, Smoke? You know, <laughs> he Came Home for <laughs> Halloween. That made it sound more like a giallo, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of a... It would have been cool, but I I don't know if it would have hit as well as Halloween did. But then there's the (laughs) working title of the film, The Babysitter Murders, which that would have been, I mean, it would have worked, obviously. You you probably would have been watching this movie saying like, you know, when when the hell is a babysitter going to get it? Because, you know, (laughs) it takes quite a while, (laughs) right? Like, even for you to get to the kind of the babysitter part of the movie. So, um, Speaking of the murders thing, that, that plays a, that was kind of a nod in the newer Halloween movies. I think they referred to it that way, right? On the news segments or something. I remember. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Which I think we've all kind of, uh, in a way put that new trilogy kind of out of our minds for a little while, but yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think they did do that. Uh, especially the third one, Halloween ends, right? All right. Anyways, this movie was released October 25th, 1978. It was produced by compass international pictures, Falcon international pictures, and was distributed by Compass International Pictures and Aquarius releasing. Of course, this is rated R. Total runtime of one hour and thirty-one minutes. On IMDb, it's listed as a horror slash thriller. Uh, it was filmed, ironically, you know, it's supposed to be in Haddonfield, Illinois, right? Uh, none of it was filmed there. It was all filmed around various parts of Hollywood, Pasadena, and some other neighboring 
cities and towns there in the Los Angeles area from April 10th to May 13th of 1978. Forget this, a budget of $325,000 estimated. Now, some numbers had a little less, but generally what I could find is most people uh, agree that it was about $325,000 budget for this movie. Which, you know, I guess shouldn't be a shocker when you watch the movie. It's it's a fairly simple movie, really, you know. Nothing nothing uh, crazy as far as production and post-production would have been involved here. Um, and not even crazy as far as special effects either i mean yeah. when you think about it it's kind of like texas chainsaw in that in that respect yeah absolutely uh but just like texas chainsaw went on to gross 47.1 million dollars now i saw some some other numbers i saw a 70 million number too so i don't know exactly you know the best sources that i usually use set around 47.1 and that was including the one of the re-releases, I think the 2020 re-release or something, it, it earned another close to 200k when it when it got re-released then. But I, I didn't see any. I only saw in a couple places that said 70. So it's needless to say, it's somewhere between 50 and 70 million. I'm sure there's some weird bookkeeping going on with the movie from 1978. So no one's sure, but clearly a very successful flick. It was directed, and part of the screenplay was written by John Carpenter who you may know best from The Thing, The Fog, Escape from New York. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, we talked about Most him. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Well, we talked about him when we did um, The Thing. And I'm sure at that point we even said, we're going to be doing a Spook Show Spotlight at some point very soon on John Carpenter. So we'll leave the, the long talk No there. question. We'll leave the long talk there for that. But uh, needless to say, one of the best, if not arguably the best, horror director, at least of the modern era. I don't think many mm. would dispute that. Um, the screenplay was also written by Deborah Hill, who at the time was his girlfriend, I believe, or his fiance or something. I, Smoke, you might n- know better. Did they ever get married or were they just boyfriend and girlfriend and then eventually split apart? And I don't remember either. I mean, I, I know they were a couple, but yeah, I don't know if they are. Maybe well, yeah. his uh, fucking lady friend. Yeah, well, at this point, they were dating, for sure. And yeah. so, therefore, her filmography credits look a lot like his up to a certain point, you know, like she was a writer and a, and a producer on tons of stuff, including escape from New York, escape from LA, the fog. Unfortunately, she passed back in 2005. So she's no longer with us, but clearly her imprint on the uh, horror genre is just as big as John Carpenter's, you know, as, as history will prove out. This movie stars Donald Pleasance as Loomis, uh, I mean, the guy had, had, I mean, unfortunately he passed away back in 1995 and he had a hell of a career. I mean, he was in the great escape. Uh, you only live twice. Uh, he's got 242 acting credits on IMDB, but smoke, you could argue that this will probably be the one that he's remembered for forever. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and like I said, we'll get to later on what our maybe personal favorites are, but yeah, there's, there's really no argument that this is up there in the top for, historical reasons for just it being a great movie and for being important to slasher movies and horror in general. I mean, definitely will be remembered probably most for this one, even if it might not necessarily be everybody's favorite of his movie. It also stars Jamie Lee Curtis as Lori. Uh, pretty sure. Was this her very first? It uh, was. Yes. The, the she had only done, um, was it? She had only done TV at that time, which is crazy. And now she was the yeah. daughter of, 
Janet Lee and Tony Curtis. Now, yep. Janet Lee was in Psycho, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Which a, uh, the reason, one of the reasonings he wanted David Lee Curtis. <laughs> so yeah, obviously, and I, Donnie, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe she was the Spook Show Scream Queen. She was this yes. year, correct? Yeah. So we're just yes. going to add another layer to that kicking off the quote unquote new year here for us that, uh, we've already checked in with Jamie Lee Curtis right out, right out the gates. So there's that once again, oh, yeah. she's worth a, a spook show spotlight as well. So that I would imagine that's coming one of these days. Um, yeah, unfortunately we will have to cover mother's boys on that. Sorry guys. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. We already, uh, <laughs> we already did that one as well. So yeah. Well, you, uh, Donnie, you and, uh, smoke weren't there for that. That was, a uh, that was, that was uh, strategic. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a strategy. I don't think you. Was on son of a something. <laughs> I don't think either of you put that much thought into it. It was just, well, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, mother's was. Uh... <laughs> well, that's kind of the way Will and I thought when we were. <laughs> we had to watch it and talk about it. So, um, it also stars Nancy Keys as Annie, PJ Souls as Linda, uh, Charles Cyphers as Bracket. Kyle Richards, who went on to like one of the uh, housewife shows, you know, the one of those 18 of those uh, real housewives of blah, blah, blah shows. And uh, Brian Andrews is Tommy. Uh, really that, I mean, like th- there's a few other players, but that's your major players. Uh, and a good handful of those, you know, the ones that weren't slaughtered in this movie did reappear uh, in that newer Halloween trilogy. Cause you know, they tried to make as many connections as, as they possibly could to this movie to the one that was supposed to be what 40 years later or whatever it was. So we did see Kyle Richards and I believe Charles Cyphers and a few others pop back up in those movies. So that was kind of cool. One of the cooler aspects of those trilogy was that, and that was about it. <laughs> um, True. Really? I mean, other than one little tidbit that I had, I mean, that's, 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 uh, that's all I had. The one thing that I found that I, that, or at least that I'd heard that I thought was interesting about this is that John Carpenter, actually Donald Pleasance wasn't his first choice to play Dr. Loomis. He wanted, mm-hmm. he wanted either Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee to be Dr. Awesome. Loomis. But apparently mm-hmm. the amount of money that they were offering for mm-hmm. the role, they were just like, nah, you, you're not, you're not meeting the Cushing Lee standard. So. And especially with, uh, uh, Cushing, uh, coming off of Star Wars at the time. Yeah, so I'm sure his rate, yeah. his rate went way the hell up. But how? And awesome. Christopher, Christopher, he said it was like the, one of the worst mistakes of his career not taking it. <laughs> hey, you could argue it. I mean, yeah, I'm, he did fine, and he went on to other things. But it pro- it it seemed like Christopher Lee especially kind of disappeared for a little while. Like you know, yeah, I know he was doing tons of things, but like he kind of had a little bit of a lull there for a while, didn't he? Before he kind of resurged towards the end of his career. True. Yeah. And I mean, and thinking about that though, what I mean, I don't know what your personal thoughts are on that, but I, I mean, I love Christopher Lee and everything, but I don't, I don't really see him in the role of Doctor Loomis because he seems like he's just as an imposing a figure as Michael is. Yeah, he's probably, and you know, he's more of a, <laughs> you know, it's more of a a grandfatherly sort of a, you know, he's a he's a he's a doctor and everything, but he's he's like he's not really imposing, you know. He's, and look, he's no, like your your. Your uncle or your grandfather or whatever you know he's like the nice guy and he's like <laughs> i see you see christopher lee and he's like just tall and you know i mean just yeah didn't seem like it would be that role from 
Donald Pleasance does a great job in this movie. He really does. And, and, and he's kind of the, I wouldn't say unsung, but he's kind of the uh, quiet heart of this movie in a way. You know, like, especially in the way I think it's been viewed in all these years later. Um, that being said, I think Peter Cushing would have been just fucking phenomenal in that part. Oh, yeah. And I'm Absolutely. Sure, and I'm sure Christopher Lee would have done great as well. I mean, he always did. But, man, Peter Cushing would have been like, he, I think that would have been perfect. So they shot this with, uh, I think the original budget was uh, 300000 and uh took them a little less than three weeks uh, to shoot. And then it grossed over $47 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you, I think, I think you mentioned that. Yeah, I did. Uh, in today's numbers, that would be a budget of $1.4 million and uh, grossing just over $220 million. Yeah. Wow. Right? Yeah, so that, that really speaks to how successful it was then and yeah. and obviously still would be now. I mean, like, yeah, especially now in, by today's standards, anything made for that amount of money and makes that kind of money, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk and, about uh, ROI. And, and this really, <laughs> and this really uh, was helped John Carpenter, probably Deborah Hill too, take off and kind of legitimize their careers mm-hmm. as well. Like, you know, they were able to kind of have, because this was su- so successful, that probably gave them more carte blanche to do what they wanted to do and the way they wanted to do things in the years that followed this. So yeah, it would, it would be no different now. You know, I think if you, know, you, you pick it up and put it here and those numbers come out, like you just said, Donnie, that yeah, this would take, this would take people to the stratosphere in their careers. No question. Yeah. Something else, uh, about the, the theme, the iconic theme that, you know, we're, uh, used to it. <laughs> It uh, took John Carpenter four days to compose the entire score. Not just the theme, but the entire score. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> synthesizers, right? Mm. And, and, it, and, it's, it, and it's a lot like the rest of the movie. It's, it's so impactful, mm. but it's so simple. You know, yeah, like, right? It's not, I don't think it's anything that like any, any one that knows anything about music couldn't bang out pretty quick, but he did it, you know? So yeah, all the credit. The and you, you, to him. you can arguably, again, like we said, this is maybe arguably the best slasher film. One of the, you know, it's important to history of horror and slasher movies, but also that score is probably one, one of it's in, it's gotta be in the top five most iconic film scores yeah, absolutely. for it being as, as you said, just like tubular bells for exorcist would be up there too. But, you immediately know it as soon as you hear it, what it's from. There's no like, which movie was this? Uh, kind of sounds familiar. <laughs> and you take that score, John Carpenter's score out of this movie and you put in any other random score of the, you know, horror movies of the seventies. I don't think this movie is as successful as it went on to be. It plays such a massive part. Oh yeah. And the, and the way he staggered it and used it in the movie as well, because if you pay attention, like you don't really hear it much unless Michael's around. Right. Is there any yeah. other is there any other score of the movie musically? That's other than when Michael is around. Yeah, synthesizer, whatever you call them, little what do you call the little thirty second or whatever cues? Yeah, it's just more, yeah, more of a stinger. Synthesizer. Yeah. <laughs> other than that, yeah, that's something I mentioned in my my you know my closing thoughts before um, you know we submit our ratings. Um, you know. 
soundtracks make or break a movie. Uh, and you know, totally worth debating how effective Halloween would be without this theme. You know, if you take away that theme, is it is it the same movie? Does it have at, you know that much of an impact? Like, just take a take another iconic theme, you know, from uh, you know, just look Any, like anything, anything of the time. I don't think it would have. Yeah. You know, it, I'm sure it would have been fine, but it, I, you know, it's just such a big part of this. You know, like you take yeah. it out, man. I, I don't know if it hits the same. Well, actually, I think I, I heard somewhere, kind of in the research for this, uh, the whole reason that he went through and actually did the whole soundtrack is because he showed it to a movie executive who watched the entire movie and found it boring. Just really didn't have much to it. So that's what kind of drove him to to make that soundtrack. So I assume there was some other score or soundtrack to it, and then he went. Or, or I didn't there, say. Okay, or there was nothing, and he went back, and there had to have been something, right? I mean, it's a, it's a fucking movie. <laughs> Almost all movies have something. So, and you don't really think about it, but I mean, what back then the themes were an important part of a movie. Now you don't hear it. Like you can't like say, well, what was the uh, theme to? I don't know. Whatever any given horror movie, and you can't really think of it in like modern time. Hellraiser. You yeah. Know? Now. <laughs> well, I don't fucking know. Well, at least it, kind does, of it does have some memorable stuff from the first couple flicks, and then they just kind of reuse that over and over again. Yeah. But modern movies, you don't. I think it's it's become a thing to to for the soundtrack to just blend into the background. It's just to be there simply to enhance a little bit of this or that. You don't really hear themes these days. Like back then, you had Jaws. I mean, everything had a theme. Halloween, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street. Even the Italian films like Goblin with Dario Argento and all that stuff, everybody had that, you know one of the strong soundtrack themes. And now you just now it just kind of blends into the background. It's just well, part of also it was it was also a different time then. You didn't rely so heavily on visuals and uh, you know CGI to where you know it's just it's much more of an implied type uh, horror back then. You know, so it's you know, I, but I mean, there's there's practically no blood in this. Yeah. 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 It's true. But it's still effective as hell at yeah. achieving what it yeah. wants to achieve, even though it has relatively no blood. Mm-hmm. Just like I talked about, like Texas Chainsaw mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, and that one's like literally like in the title, it's called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So already That's in your fair, mind, yeah. already in your mind, you're like, <laughs> oh, fuck, this is going to be a bloodletting, you know, like, it's just going to be nastiness from start to finish. But when you actually sit down and watch it, especially with today's lens, you're like, well, you know, it's more of the <laughs> Texas chainsaw, you know, creep, creepy run around fest. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not a bloody, bloody massacre. Although there's some fucked up things that happen, but you get, you get the point. You know? Yeah. I think that that's just a sign of a great filmmaker. Whenever you can do that, you know, on a, because the first of all, it's budgetary. For that movie, I think, yeah. and Texas, Texas Chainsaw in this movie, to not have all that effects work in there is going to save you money. But to craft it in such a way that you, you're buying, your imagination completes the graphicness, you know, of like Texas Chainsaw, the meat hook scene or whatever. You don't really see hardly anything on there. You hear it. You see him from the front, hang on the meat hook, and you hear the sound effect of it and all that. And it's much more effective to me than if they just showed blood squirting out of the back and all that stuff. Mm thing in here whenever he's stabbing with the with the butcher knife you hear the sound more so than you see a whole lot of blood or anything which i think is a good time to bring up the director of photography dean cundy the 
Panaglide camera, which is essentially uh, a clone or like one of the early stages of Steadicam that they use for this movie. How I, I believe that is such as just as big a part of the finished product of this movie and the way people remember it as that music is right. That, that yeah. first person perspective that you see at the beginning, you know, that some people claim is one shot and it's not, uh, you know, and, and other moments throughout the movie, they use it a lot in this movie. I think that is plays such a integral part of why this movie hits as well as it does as well. Hadn't been used much before that, although there is those comparisons to Black Christmas, right? Because there was yeah. some of that, some of that steady cam type first person stuff that happened in Black Christmas. What yeah, you, you can pretty much say this is a a a development from Black Christmas. Because I mean, some people maybe call Black Christmas one of the first slasher movies. I think a way I look at them is proto slashers. Pretty much Halloween, I see as being the first actual slasher and things that came before that and that influenced it, like Black Christmas or Psycho, or kind of like proto slashers or whatever but even that being said like i said there's no real huge body count or gore quotient in this one like would that would come with the imitators like you know friday the 13th etc you know you're kind of a connoisseur of camera work and whatnot right in uh uh filmography or and not filmography <laughs> cinematography photography all that stuff so what do you think about the work in this with the oh, i think it's amazing i mean this i think to me I think along with Black Christmas, like these are like the first couple of movies that put you in the like like it puts you in the point of view of the killer. Almost like as you're watching it, you become the killer, and you're you're running around sneaking up on these people. I mean, it, it definitely gives you the the feel of creepiness. Whereas, I, I, and I think the main differences between those two movies. And we can talk to this because we've talked about Black Christmas in the past and now this. And, you know, we've all seen them a number of times. The biggest difference for th these two movies is the fact that they don't waste any time in this movie showing you who the killer is. Right. Whereas in Black Christmas, you know, spoiler alert, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you a second. You never find out who the killer is. So, like, but but they still present everything the same way true yeah and in this movie even though you know who the killer is they still craft it in such a way as you're waiting for them to you want to see his face at some point you hope that maybe maybe you'll get on mask and you'll see his face and then there is that point a little bit near the end but it's done with the lighting in such a way that you still don't get a really good look at it especially yeah. if you're watching it on vhs or dvd maybe in the theater 35 millimeter you could you know see it better but but yeah, they play with the audience that way, too. You, you kind of want to see what Michael looks like, but they don't really show it to you. It's intermission time. Time to pause and refresh at the snack bar. During this short break, you can treat your taste of good food and sparkling cold beverages, including delicious Coca-Cola. If you're hot dog hungry, we have them. Sizzling, juicy hot dogs served in warm, oven-fresh buns. Plus a complete menu of all your favorites. Visit the refreshment center now. Enjoy delicious food and ice-cold Coca-Cola. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So I hopped on over to audible.com, and I typed, I didn't type in just Halloween because, you know, that, that'd send back 
you know, 10,000 results and it'd just be about trick or treating or something. So I typed in Michael Myers to see what would pop up. And we've got smoke. This is for you. The official movie novelization of Halloween kills. That's just over eight hours long by Tim Wagoner. So I'm sure that'll float your boat this Halloween season. Uh, let's see. We've got Michael, my brother lost boy of NXS <laughs> by Jen, Joel Brown, <laughs> Tina Hutchins. <laughs> that one's almost 11 hours long. It's about the dude from NXS. <laughs> Jesus. And, <laughs> and we've got, uh, let's see. Hollywood monsters fiendishly famous by Kenny Abdo. Uh, well, hell that one's an audible exclusive, but it's only about 18 minutes long. So very short, but if any of that floats your boat, you can hop on over to audibletrial.com slash spook show. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash spook show for your free audio book. So now I'm going to hop on back over to IMDB and I'm going to click on plot summary. If I can fucking find it on the screen here. Ah, there it is. Let's see how many we've got. Donnie, I'm sure they got a long one for you. I mean, this is Halloween for God's sake. Nothing scarier than a long, sure. nothing scarier than a long synopsis for Donnie here at Halloween. True. And there's a longer one, but there's not like a really crazy long one. So I'll read the the brief one. 15 years after murdering his sister on Halloween night, 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois to kill again. Uh, the longest one they've got here is uh, submitted by Nick Reganis. October 31st, 1963, Haddonfield, Illinois. Possessed by an unfathomable urge to kill, Six-year-old Michael Myers butchers his 15-year-old sister, Judith, on the night of Halloween. 15? I mean, I guess I've never really thought about how old she was, but 15? That seems a little young for what was going on there, right? What do I know? Yeah, especially what we saw. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Precisely 15 long years later, on the anniversary of the brutal murder, Michael escapes from Smith Grove Sanitarium, a mental health facility for the criminally insane, and returns home. And before long, Michael becomes fixated on blissfully unsuspecting high school student Lori Strode and her friends, Annie and Linda. In the meantime, Meyer's psychiatrist, Dr. Samuel Loomis, and skeptical Sheriff Lee Brackett comb the town to ferret out the mentally unstable inmate. However, the shadows are thick, and the silent killer is always one step ahead of them. Has Michael Myers returned to pick up where he left off? And that's the question we're left with here. So yeah. Oh, I thought we were talking about cancer, the silent killer. No, that's that's more the long con. I don't think Michael's into that. Okay. I mean, it was fifteen years. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so, smoke, please. Yeah. <laughs> now the waiting game begins. <laughs> Click <got> Marlboro Miles. <laughs> Michael just stands over to the side, watches. Yeah. Fucking more. We'll speed it up. So it's filterless camel. We'll speed it up a little bit. Yeah fucking morbid creep. Uh, I think you have to start right at the opening of this movie. That iconic, just iconic opening the, the black screen with the, the font, the music, the pumpkin. I mean, everything about this is just, just fucking horror heaven, right? <laughs> right. It's so well done and it gets you in the mood, especially back then. Like, you know, the, the uh, Nowadays, if you think about it, like the long credit sequence is kind of dead. You know, most movies kind of, these days just kind of get to the point. Every once in a while, you know, right, they'll, they'll be one that has kind of the minute or two long credit sequence. But really that, that kind of art form to kind of like set the mood just with the credits 
and kind of ease you into, all right, this is what the movie's about. This one does it so well, but that, that's kind of a dying art form, wouldn't you think? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you get some movies like Mandy where the, the title of the movie doesn't come until like 30 minutes into it or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it was like the first 45 <laughs> minutes are considered the cold open or something. Yeah. <laughs> which is got which is what got Will so deep into that movie that he was invested until uh-huh. the very last minutes. But right out the gates, that's where you get the the Panaglide camera, the Steadicam first person shots of of a young Michael creeping up on his sister and stabbing her to death. Now, I guess we could have the small conversation here of like why, right? Like, and I think these are things that got explored a little bit more into that, you know, newer trilogies that just came out and, and in movies that came after this, you know, the other ones that the other sequels that kind of don't count anymore, I guess, however you want to look at it. Why? What, yeah. what the hell is wrong with Michael? <laughs> Why does he do these things? Why did he go off and kill his, you know, let's keep it specific to that scene, I guess. Why did he f- kind of slip into the abyss and just kill his sister randomly like that? Yeah, I don't, well, this first of all, this movie doesn't give you any answers to that. No. You know, it's just it puts at it, and then he was in the asylum until he wasn't in the asylum and escaped. Killing mm. people, but that's basically all it gives you as far as his background psychology, except what Doctor Loomis tells you after he was institutionalized. Yeah, well, I guess you kind of have to put two and two together as the movie progresses. That like, my he's just an empty husk. He's just there's not like I think Loomis says many times like there's no soul behind the eyes right like it's just he's just a mindless yeah. evil machine you know <laughs> hell-bent on killing for killing's sake i guess right well he's the boogie he's the boogeyman too i think you remember that yeah. sort of in this movie he was kind of i guess not meant to be not meant to have that much of a backstory because i think one of the other names he's called and i don't remember if he's called it i don't think he's called this in the movie right the shape yeah, well, that's, I think, I think that's, that's what, what they call him in the, in the credits, but I don't think they ever. Yeah. Other than they don't Michael, refer so to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, they as never the call shape. him that, but yeah, in the credits it says the shape. So I think he was just made sort of a the quintessential boogeyman of Halloween or whatever, you know. So I guess maybe they just didn't want to flesh out the whys as a kid of what made him that way. How about when they, uh, well, you know, like? Zombies. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> No, I was gonna say, of course, Rob Zombie's movies now they they go into a whole psychological breakdown of of yeah. him as a child. Yeah, and that I, you know, look, I, I appreciate him trying what he tried to do, I guess, but like, I don't, I don't think Michael, I, don't, I really don't think Michael needs an explanation. No, uh, no, nah, nah, that's that's something I could definitely have done without in the in those movies. It, yeah, because it's sort my my thing. Down, yeah, it downplays Michael because, in my opinion, it's always been like not knowing his motivation and not knowing exactly what the hell he is, is the creepy part. If you try to, if you try to give him a reason for what he was doing, like Rob Zombie's two movies did, then you actually feel some sympathy for him. Yeah. You're kind of rooting for him a little bit and you don't want to root for Michael Myers, right? Mm -hmm. It's like rooting for the devil or Darth Vader or something like, you know, it's the same mistake (laughs) the star Wars movies made arguably. Right. So like, you don't want to feel that for them. You just want to know that these these things are evil and you want them to be dead or you want your uh heroes to run away from them. That's what you want. You know, you don't want to you want to fear them, not empathize or sympathize with them, whatever. Yeah, that's something that came a little bit later. <laughs> they, they didn't really do that at this time period and with horror movies too much. It wasn't until I guess when you went to the later 90s and early 2000s, they wanted to uh do it that way as far as giving it empathy sympathy and stuff for the villain yeah or make him maybe the villain is he not the villain is what you know 
ambiguous. Yeah. Uh, how about when the, the scene when Michael uh, breaks out of the mental hospital? I love that when they just, you know, she, it's a nurse driving Loomis up to the hospital and they're going there to transfer him to a different hospital or something. Right. And when they drive up, it's, it's, of course, it's a thunderstorm raining hard. And when they pull up, all you, all, all you see is that like the headlights pointing toward like a, a field, a, long a field or something. and there's all, there's just a bunch of mental hospital patients just and wonder, yeah, yeah, wandering around mm-hmm. out in the pouring rain. Like it's just creepy as fuck, you know, like. It's almost Wouldn't they like, let them start walking around at night? Yeah, it's almost like Night of the Living Dead-esque. Yeah. And what about the effectiveness? And, and, you know, because really a lot of this movie, you know, you're not going blow by blow here. A lot of this movie really is like, all right, Michael's out of the mental hospital and he's gone back to Haddonfield. So it's just him creeping around the town for, you know, what, the next 45 minutes or so, give or take. That's pretty much all it is. So, like, but what do you think of the effectiveness of that? Like, him standing at the clothesline and then they kind of do a double take and then he's gone or they're walking down a long sidewalk and they see him standing up above and then he just kind of ducks behind the bush. And then when they go, look, he's gone. That kind of shit, right? Like really, really effective, creepy shit, right? You know, the way they did him here, right? Yeah. It was good setting up for what comes later. Yeah. Plus, you know, you never see him run. You never see him in any sort of hurry at all. He's just like, no. And, you know, that that yeah. also, you know, like you said, kind of is the appeal that he's just, I guess, maybe psychologically, he's always a step ahead. Yeah. He doesn't have to move fast. Well, now, remember, this was all explained well in uh, Behind the Mask, uh, The Rise of Leslie, <laughs> Leslie Vernon. Yes. Mm. <laughs> it's it's a lot of endurance and, and, and cardio. Yeah. <laughs> A lot, a lot of work. That's right, yeah. A lot of work you know how into his thinking of the You're, uh, you know, not catching up with somebody and are not running after him and still catching them. What did you think of the, uh, all right, Michael breaks out of the mental hospital, right? And then he immediately jumps in the car and drives away. <laughs> all right. That's, been, that's he's smoke. He's been in the mental hospital since he was six years old. But yeah. I, I do appreciate Carpenter and, and Deborah Hill trying to explain it all. Right. At least they did throw that line in there. Like, you know, basically how the fuck did he drive? Well, somebody here must have uh, taught him and moving on. You know? <laughs> why, you, why wouldn't you teach a crazy person? Yeah. Killer how to, uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Cause like he, he's like, uh, what did he say? Like I spent the first seven or eight years trying to understand him. And then I've spent like the last seven or eight years trying to make sure he never leaves here. Right. That's the line. Mm. So like, yeah. so when, let me grab him real quick so I can take him away. So when in that time period did somebody grab him and decide to teach him how to drive a fucking car? <laughs> was it in that first year, first seven or eight? I don't know, man. Was it? I mean, did they have? Uh, I mean, they would have had TVs in like uh, mental institutions, right? You think you'd I pick mean, up how to drive a car just watching TV? I mean, like, you listen, might, man, you might get the premise yep. of it. Like, okay. Get in here, get behind the wheel, vroom, vroom, did I they, go. But, like, would you know how to do it, you know? Did Did they have how it's made back then? No, I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> they, had, no idea. they had, like, at how best... It's made. They had, at best, like, four fucking channels back then. I doubt they had anything informational other than PBS. <laughs> you know, I don't know. When I, this, recently, this last time with my wife, whatever, when he was driving by in the background, the shot with Lori and everything, and I was like, 
would have been hilarious if he just like ran up on the curb, you know, because he doesn't really have to drive, you know, up on the curb. <laughs> that and they turn around, what the fuck? and he just drives off the curb and leaves. <laughs> that, that reminds me of another little Easter egg that I, I saw pointed out, uh, just like the audience reaction thing. It's one of those YouTube or TikTok, wherever the fuck it was, things. That scene where Loomis is with the cops and they're, it's at, they're at one of the scenes where Michael's done something, and then Michael drives by in the background. You remember that? Yeah. Like you see the stop. Oh part. yeah. <laughs> if you look closely, if you look closely at that shot where he's sitting at the stop sign, Michael looks both ways before he takes off. <laughs> this crazed, mindless husk of a serial killer. He 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 knows well enough to look both ways before he pulls out. That's awesome. I don't want to t-bone anybody. <laughs> I don't want to kill anybody unintentionally yeah, until I'm ready. Uh, Talk oh, about yeah, well, we should probably talk about since he's already got it at this point in the movie, his mask. Oh yeah, the uh now remember if you remember correctly, this is a while back. Donnie, maybe you can look up the episode number while we're talking, but we talked about that during the uh the Devil's Reign episode. Because this was yeah. a while back. This is years back now, so I, I don't remember that. Episode. episode number 37. There you go. So go all the way back to episode 37. But Smoke, you want to talk about what the mask is and where it came from? Yeah, yeah. It's, and, I did, and I'm sure most people probably, or at least a good many horror fans know this. And maybe there's some people that are listening that don't. But uh, basically, it's a Captain Kirk mask. Yeah. The, the unpainted, just flesh-colored, you know, William Shatner mask that uh, Tommy Lee Wallace who was working on the film, special effects and makeup effects and whatnot, uh, painted it this bluish, that bluish white color. He also widened the eyes, I guess, by maybe just pulling on the latex or whatever. He made the eyes wider from the nose. Uh, and the hair, he did a little bit something different with the hair, I guess, and made it. But still, basically, yeah, if you look at that, I mean, if you look at it and you think about it for half a second, it's like it just looks like Captain Kirk with, you know, slightly different eyes. <laughs> well, you Same know, color. I I never would have. I, I never made you know until I heard that so many years ago. I never made that connection that it looked like William Shatner. You know, like just looking at it, I'm like, well, it's just some creepy pale mask, you know. But once yeah, it, yeah. not once it brings it to your attention, yeah, though, then, then it, it's hard not to yeah. to not see it or whatever. Yeah, then you can't unsee it. Like once once it's been said, like, oh yeah, that's Shatner. But <laughs> do you remember in that Devil's Reign episode what we were talking about was they made some type of plaster or something some mold of his face for that movie and that is the mold that they made the captain kirk mask from so that is your connection to devil's reign was and remember in that movie he kind of had the creepy eyes remember that was what happened to him when they became possessed or something they just got weird empty eyes <laughs> and then they melted or you know that that movie's wacky as hell but uh they melted into rainbow wax or something but that that look, that's what it's from. So that that is, I I, f I found that a really interesting, cool connection to yeah. uh, to of all movies, The Devil's Reign. Good lord! Right. Speaking of the mask and everything, though, how about the once again the effect of creepiness and just you know simple but yet scary type stuff that they did in this movie with the uh, in the first person camera shots and stuff, especially the breathing okay. in the mask. You know the and you know you get get that at the end again and everything but how how awesome is that how effective is that and it's such a simple simple thing although i guess maybe they were ripping darth vader i don't know. <laughs> and and also too the shots of the camera through the mask eye holes 
Yeah, I was about to say the POV, which actually starts at the very beginning with the clown mask when he's six years old and kills his sister. They use the POV of that. <laughs> As he picks up the mask off the floor or whatever and puts it over the camera lens, you know, his eyes or whatever, and then you're watching through the through the eye holes of the mask, and then they uh, they carry that forward when he's uh you know doing the killing and having feel later. It seems like I read or saw somewhere too that like apparently I guess when they were kind of in that indecisive what should Michael look like phase. They actually thought mm-hmm. about going with the clown mask. Mm. So, you know, like uh, that and it and narratively in the story that would have made probably more sense than him just finding some random mask at a gas station or whatever. Where did they get where did he get the mask from? I forget. Or did they even show the that? hardware? Or some kind of store that was doing it just because of Halloween time. Maybe that's just a Halloween mask that he broke into. The clown mask would have made sense because of, you know, that's the one that he picked up when he killed his sister and all that. Right. But it also makes sense that this mindless crazed person would just grab the first thing that he, you know, yeah, he make he makes the connection in his mind. Well, when I did that to my sister, I was wearing a mask. So I need a mask. Where's the mask. Okay. I need the one, you know, mask right here. <laughs> he wouldn't be looking for a specific mask. Which I think is where it kind of went off the rails in that newer trilogy, right? There was something about the mask where he. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm not getting back into that. It just keeps coming back yeah. to mind. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Sorry. We keep, we, we keep refer- referencing it too much. Yeah, I guess we're referencing uh, shitty three shitty movies when we're talking about the greatest of the franchise right here. <laughs> also, another effective scare, just the simple jump scares in this movie. And now I know now it's like jump scares. Oh, please, fuck off. You know, right? But like, there are some really good ones. In this movie, yeah. and, and and that those music stingers we were talking about play a big part in that because it'll just be something random that'll, you know, it's beyond just the cat jumping out going, Row! you know, this is like something will happen, like a limb will hit a window or so- something, right, will happen, and then, you know, and it's that same type of stinger when like Michael strikes at something, so when you hear that, you're kind of conditioned pretty quick to react you know like oh fuck you know <laughs> is that michael no no it's just it's just that thing but i think really effective jump scares you know you get you get bored with jump scares as we're here in 2023 yeah but i think if they're going to be used in a horror movie slasher movies are kind of where they belong not necessarily in or or maybe ghost type movies or whatever but uh not in uh well this is going to be kind of not in let's say an exorcist movie but we'll get to that at some point mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you you don't need them in that type of movie, but slasher movies, mm. to a certain degree, even though it's kind of a cheap thing. That, like I said, at this time it wasn't cheap. It was it was it became stereotypical later. Speaking of things that are out of place, Judith Meyer's grave <laughs> doesn't, doesn't that have to yeah. be the smallest grave ever dug for a a fifteen year old? I assume girl. <laughs> now that we heard well, that synopsis earlier, unless I mean, they you know. Buried her, uh, you know, standing <laughs> vertical. Yeah, and folded her in half. <laughs> Maybe I, I mean because it looks like it's about two foot deep, <laughs> and and not <laughs> what what would it would be a normal grave length like you know yeah. at least what six foot to eight foot long, right? At least two to four foot wide, something like that. Now this looks like it's about two foot by four foot, and about <laughs> and about a foot and a half deep. Oh no, these damn kids coming out here digging up graves. It just <laughs> looks like wacky kids. <laughs> you get a lot of that in this movie too, because I, I guess everybody in the town is dismissive of everything because it's fucking Halloween. Right. 
<laughs> oh, these goddamn kids today, you know, like that happens at least like, four or five separate occasions. Her walking through town carrying a gravestone. Yeah. Come on, weird. <laughs> Once again, well, I guess in this one, you know, nobody paid attention to it. So in the future ones, they pay attention to everything. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that I found was weird about this movie was the geography of the town. It's weird. It's like the biggest small small town in, in America. Because on one hand, it feels like everything's taking place in like, you know, three or four blocks. But then in another, it'll be like Lori gets picked up by her friend in a car and then they drive so far away that it's dark by the time they get there. You know, like that didn't seem like it's a few streets over kind of thing. That seems like two towns over <laughs> passage of time. So like the geography of the town is weird to me, but I do think they did nail the aesthetic of the small town. It, you know, like, although they did shoot this in, in, in the Los Angeles in you know, Pasadena area and everything, it, it definitely has that Halloween time, small town, any town feel to it. You know, just the look. I think the scouting locations and everything, they nailed it. The look of everything. And it literally looks like it could be just about any town in America. True. Yeah, yeah, they did a great job of just any town USA. Yeah. In in the fall. In the fall. (laughs) Yeah. I think you said it's shot in the spring, right? Yeah, it was like, uh, what did I say in the notes? It was like April to May of that year. Yeah. So, yeah. And they make it look like it's, you know, Halloween Eve, Halloween Day. Yeah, they just had to move a whole bunch of... uh, fall of leaves piles of leaves at various places they need them for different shots <laughs> donnie we get to one of your favorite parts when he choked out the dog or whatever the hell he did to the dog <laughs> yeah we've already got an early nominee for the chuki fantastic <laughs> all right <laughs> what is the in memoriam segment will it we have to you know, <laughs> memorialize yeah yeah old, no old it'll, or whatever it was I'm so you'll see it sure again. it'll happen you'll see it again Smoke, I'm sure you appreciated the thing from another world playing. On yes, yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, great little and not and a nod to uh, Carpenter's remake of the thing later. I mean, I know it's one of his favorite films. Why he probably put it in there for in this movie? <laughs> now, do you think he had any idea whatsoever that, like, you know, it, within the next three or four years, I'm going to be making, you know, trying to remake the thing, or was that just happenstance that, you know? Yeah, I would. I would assume. I've never read anything about that, but I would assume, like I said, unless somebody somebody will come out with an interview and said, "No, he said he was going to do it," <laughs> but uh, not having heard anything like that, I would assume that no, he probably had no idea that he would been able to get his hands on or doing a remake of the thing at this time before Halloween hit theaters. I think the first kill that you see on screen is Annie, if I'm if I'm correct, right? Because I think there was at least one or two before that. But I think the first one you see on, on screen was Annie when after like a dozen teases, right. Then she gets stuck in the window. Nothing happens. Like she could have been killed like five times. And then finally it's when she gets in the car to go pick up her boyfriend or whatever, that Michael jumps out of the back seat. I, I did like that nice little spot in there too. When she gets in and kind of like looks around and there, she notices the windows fogged up. And then that's when he, he grabs a hold of her. Uh, but the part I didn't like about it was that her eyes went cross. <laughs> it just looks stupid as hell. Like he chokes her out and then st- he's choking her and then he stabs her or something. And then when she dies, she's just cross eyes. <laughs> and I think another one, uh, uh, one of the other girls that gets killed a little bit later, um, maybe it's Linda. When the bodies pop back up, she's cross eyed. <laughs> 
This is like the goofy equivalent to like cartoons, you know, when somebody's dead and they put X's over their eyes. <laughs> that's where their tongue's hanging out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all they were doing. <laughs> they just go cross-eyed. Oh, she's dead. Talk about uncomfortable things other than, you know, corpses going cross-eyed. The god-awful, terrible Bob joke that he makes about, like, I'm going to rip your clothes off and then we're going to rip. I'm going to rip your clothes off. And then, yeah, then we're gonna, both going to rip Lindsay's clothes off. Like, whoa, dude. <laughs> Lindsay's well, you like, know, you got to test the waters. Yeah, Lindsay's like yeah. five, horse. <laughs> Slow down, Pana. <laughs> and the fact that they, th- that Carpenter and Hill or whatever felt that this was such a great line and joke that they left it in there. <laughs> Bad. Didn't age well. Not that it was okay in 1978, but (laughs) (laughs) certainly didn't play now. One of the more iconic kills, I think, in the movie is when he kills Bob. That's uh, Linda's boyfriend who's, you know, they've had Mm -hmm. sex and then he goes downstairs or whatever. He stabs him and pins him to the wall. And then he just stands there and stares at him and like tilts his head back and forth. I mean, like how soulless of a maniac, I guess, (laughs) however you want to phrase this, do you have to be to like, Brutally murder somebody and then just stand there and stare at them as their the last breath goes out of their body as they're pinned against the wall. You 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 stuck them so hard and you had such strength that you pinned them to the fucking wall. And this is replayed over and over again throughout the Halloween franchise history, right? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. see this time and again. But this is the first, so this is the best. Mm. Michael, I think, even had a sense of humor though, because right, right after that, remember he puts on <laughs> he puts the sheet on. And acts like he's a ghost or whatever when he walks in on uh, Naked Linda. <laughs> but he puts Bob's glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the forethought really does bring to mind, uh, you know, uh, what we were just talking about. Behind the mask, Leslie Vernon. Because mm. like, you've got, you've got the, the, he had enough wherewithal to put the sheet on with the glasses. So, fuck you, I just killed your boyfriend. I'm going to pretend I'm him. Uh, <laughs> you know, like. he. I mean, uh, I could have killed you. I'm just going to fuck with you now. You yeah, know? <laughs> I'm just, you're dead. I'm just fucking with you. You don't even know it. The, uh, the thing that we're about to talk about the tombstone, his sister's tombstone bit, like that's a lot of pre-planning, right? Yes. Like I said, not the least of which was having to drag that heavy ass stone all the way from the graveyard there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what we saw when they, when they visited the, the, the grave site, that wasn't necessarily, Judith's body that he dug up. Maybe it was just that he dug up the tomb. You know what? That's why it looks so small. Yeah. It, what it's been almost like 45 years for us to figure this out. Yeah, exactly. I think we just, <laughs> un- we uncovered the secret. Yeah. By the Learned way, that, new that is day. some uh, serendipity that you just mentioned there. Remember, remember <laughs> the date, remember the date that I said this movie came out. This, it came out October 25th of, uh, 1978 uh this this episode today comes out on october 23rd 2023 mm. almost literally 45 years to the day we're two days away crazy and, and depending on when you're listening to it right <laughs> you might actually be on the 45th anniversary and trust me we mm. didn't we did not plan that we we're not that clever listen well we kind of like our entire lineage of uh uh movies comes comes across where you know, we just kind of stumble into these little anniversaries yeah. and such. I think I think it's another one, like because 
we just we just decided that it was time to finally talk about Halloween. We didn't mm. think, well, it's because of the 45th anniversary. No, it was just, let's just fucking do we're, it. So, we're not that smart. Yeah, no. Smoke, do you think this was already a trope by 1978? Because it is now. The body discoveries. When all of a sudden, just the bodies start falling out of everywhere, right? <laughs> she turns around, somebody falls from the ceiling. You know, she opens up the door, somebody falls from the closet. You know, stuff like that, like. That's yeah, been done yeah. a I don't billion times. The other, not that? even in like Herschel Gordon Lewis movies, you know, which we, you could say it was maybe some of the precursors to splatter and slasher movies. But I don't even remember that happening there where bodies are just discovered like that. I mean, I think I, I would say this is one of, if not the first, yeah, where that plays out in the movie. And of course, it was used to greater effect, I guess, in like all the Friday the 13th movies. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Friday the 13th, the whole franchise really comes to mind when I think about that. Like, There'll always be the final girl who doesn't realize everyone is dead until she finally sees the first body, and then the bodies just fall from the skies yeah. everywhere. You know, so I, in the case of Jason, he like props them up in all kind of different ways, anyways, for them to discover, just so he can toy with them cat yeah. and mouse style again. Yeah, <laughs> which makes even less sense than Michael Myers because Jason is some kind of otherworldly ghoul, really, right? <laughs> Michael is basically a zombie, at least you know. He's killed in a very obvious way in every film. <laughs> and even, you know, finally in part four, right? And where he's and in part six, he really does come back as basically a zombie. You could argue the same for Michael as he's, you know, I shot him six times as we'll get to. Yeah. Well, but, uh, speak- he's also killed at the end of just about everyone of if not everyone. Speaking of you can't kill this motherfucker. So she's the final, you know, fight, the final showdown between Lori and, and Michael. She's got, he's got her cornered and he's running around cat and mouse, whatever. She stabs mm-hmm. him with a sewing needle to the neck, a clothes hanger to the face. I'm going to assume right in the fucking eye. I don't know. And then she sticks him with a knife to the gut. Nope. <laughs> doesn't doesn't do shit. That, no. That's when you should know you're in trouble, right? I mean, well, she knew she was in trouble. I, I just don't think she knew the level of trouble that she was into. <laughs> then you get the famous, that I mentioned earlier, you get the famous setup scene where like, She's got him down that final time. I think it's when she does the knife to the gut. He's down. And then she kind of like is gathering herself. Uh, but you see Michael in the background behind her, the way they frame the shot. She's standing there like crying and upset and kind of catching her breath. And then behind her, you see Michael do the dead man setup. <laughs> the undertaker just <laughs> go- gong, <laughs> set straight up. Now I have heard, uh, you know, referencing the undertaker that that is exactly where, Undertaker got that from it was from Michael Myers. Cause obviously this, I can't believe- this is like 15 years before the Undertaker was a thing, give or take. Right. So mm-hmm. that's exactly where he got it from was the, the Michael Myers setup. So there is a connection there. Um, right after that, you get the brief unmasking that smoke mentioned earlier, like just for a split second there, they pull it off. You kind of see a little bit of what he looks like. And then he quickly puts it back on. Loomis shows up, shoots Michael six times. He falls out of the window and then he disappears. Like, I think he shoots him. He falls out of the window. He kind of goes back to Lori. Like, are you all right? Yeah, whatever. And then he goes back to look and then Michael's gone. Start the music. Right. So I, I do want to kind of go back to the unmasking a little bit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, he does, you know, he looks deformed much like, uh, you know, Jason does when, when he was unmasked. Friday like, 13. I don't think it's quite to that level, but yeah, you know, there's his, his eye is slid down. Yeah. You know, there's something going on there. Yeah. 
Something. <laughs> something, yeah. I, well, it could just be the <laughs> clothes hanger to the fucking face that he just took. I don't know. It could be yeah, anything. you know, it could have been... Be uh, You're one load I should have It could have been that, too. It could have been dropped the on his granny. head. granny. But, you know, he looks right. normal when he's six, right? Like, you know... Yeah. <laughs> by the way, going back to the beginning there, when Michael... And then <laughs> they take the clown mask off, and he's just, oh, no, no. <laughs> Who reacts well, to Captain that situation? Crunch just... Who reacts to that situation that way? Their six-year-old <laughs> walks out of the house with a fucking bloody knife, and they just take the mask off. Michael, and then just stand there and stare at him like, huh? <laughs> you got me. <laughs> I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you pesky patterns. Shit. Well, I like the I like the uh, final lines of the movie though. Uh, Lori says to Loomis, "It was the boogeyman," and then Loomis says, "As a matter of fact, it was." Mm. And that's you know, that's pretty much the end. And, and I also like the sh- uh, random shots of the scene that they show with the mask breathing. That's how the movie ends. Is you see all the different houses where everything kind of happened, and then you hear the, and then you know, hit the music. Let's play it out. So yeah, it's man, what a what a fucking awesome movie. What a treat to be able to watch it again for the one hundred straight up. <laughs> and I'll watch it a hundred times more. Yep. But I, so I guess it's time to go ahead and dive into our rating. So Smoke, we'll let you go first since you're the 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 old Halloween hat here. Yeah, this like I said, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. Just well, not just about every Halloween season at some point from near the end of September to the beginning of November. We're going to watch this movie, my wife, at least once. A lot of times you end up seeing bits and pieces of it again because it's on whatever, you know, streaming service stuff running all through Halloween. So I, I couldn't count on how many hands, you know, how many hands. I've only got two hands. <laughs> I can't, I couldn't count how many times I've seen this movie. So, uh, and it never gets old. It's just a classic, just like the thing when we were talking about the movie, the thing. And I'll get to, uh, I think we're all, we want to talk about what, you know, necessarily what our favorite Carpenter films are. Uh, I guess I'll wait until we've done all our ratings until we say that. Maybe this one, I, I, I don't think I couldn't go any lower than. I mean, I'm going to go four and three quarters with it. Actually, I guess I will divulge at this point. It's probably a good time because anybody who's paying attention who listened to our episode on the thing, uh, I can't remember how many, if not all of us, maybe gave it a five. I know, or somewhere close to that, maybe. Yeah, th- three of uh, us gave a five. five. Three of us gave a five on that one. Uh, uh, sorry, Will still hasn't gave his two cents on that one because I don't think he's been able to watch the thing yet, right, Will? Right. Yeah, so no. he's still kind of open-ended there. But, yeah, we all gave fives on that one. So that right there lets you know. <laughs> but, you know, for me, the thing is my favorite, John Carpenter. Just by a little over this one because, like I said, I give this one four and three quarters and I gave the thing five. And uh, so that's where I'll stand with it. Uh, I mean, arguably, I could have given this a five too, but I just uh, I like the thing just that little bit. Just a little bit more, and that's just personal, you know, just my personal favorite of his movies. Uh, I'm again very important to horror, and I definitely acknowledge that, and could watch it over and over again, and have, and will again. For my two cents, I'm going to say this is a five, and and it's the same thing I gave the thing, but like I, I really probably I would give the thing a slight edge, you know, if I'm comparing the two, but this is just so well done and effective that. I, I have to give it its flowers too, you know, like mm-hmm. not, not just because it, it launched, you know, the character of Michael Myers and everything, but like it's, this movie is so well, ex- extremely <clears throat> well done. And it's because of its simplicity, right? It is such a simple movie, 
dude does something when he's a kid, something's wrong with him. He goes to a mental hospital. He breaks out of the mental hospital. He comes back to the scene of the crime and just starts butchering people for no apparently good reason. Uh, they, they managed to quote unquote, take him out, but not really me hit the music, you know, like that's the movie right there. <laughs> and then meanwhile, just throw in awesome cinematography, awesome, you know, uh, score, everything. And it looks, and this movie looks so good too. Mm, you know, like no. the look of it, just the production value of it for a movie that was made for what? 325,000, give or take. Yeah. God. I mean, and just the simplicity of the story being a slasher movie. Yeah. I mean, arguably, you know, the first one or one of the first ones, but yeah, they, you know, they took so much care with that. With, like you said, with the crafting of the movie from cinematography, to lighting, to set design, to, to soundtrack, to all of that. So, they could have taken the easier way route out, but they but they didn't. They they were attention to detail throughout the whole thing, I think, and got the most out of that three hundred and something thousand dollars. So for <clears> me, <throat> for the same reasons but different reasons, just like the thing, I'm going to give it five stars. So Donnie, where where you at? You know, and you guys raised some uh, you know pretty good points uh, as far as I thought I was going to be maybe alone in this, but um, <coughs> you know. We talked earlier about there not being a whole lot of gore. I'm sorry, a whole lot of gore in it. Um, you know, not not so much blood. Uh, typically, I don't want to say typically, but um, well, I will say I will say typically. Uh, if uh, if if a movie doesn't have you know a horror movie of this, uh, I want to say of this type, but uh, in the past, if it doesn't have a whole lot of gore, if it kind of would and I guess usually kind of lend heavy into the gore side. Um, if it, I'm sorry, if it didn't, um, I it would knock it down a down a peg for me. But uh, you know, this being such a influential, iconic uh, uh, film, I I don't think. I mean, you don't really need it. It's effective without it because of the implied the. Uh, the soundtrack is, you know, I mean, you know, we've, we've already discussed this, but yeah, it's, you know, excellent. Cannot recommend it more. I'm actually going to echo your rating, Josh, and say five stars. Will, what do you say? Uh, I'm going to go with the five. I mean, honestly, with pretty much all the reasons that y'all had already said, but uh, the, the driving factor for me is just the simplicity of the story. Um, you know, crazy person doesn't have any rhyme or reason. Uh, and he's just off butchering people. Um, and these people were just trying to survive. Um, I think it's, I think it's similar to say like a, almost like a movie, say like Jaws where, uh, there's this one killing machine. That's all it wants to do. And everybody is just trying to, you know, live through it. Uh, it, it, I'm sure it scared some teenage girls from, uh, babysitting. Yeah. Uh, just like, um, you know, like late at night, just like Jaws did from, uh, people getting in the water. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to go with the five. Yeah. Hard to argue. Um, and that gives us an almost perfect score of 4.9 out of five stars. So, uh, no, no one's going to fault you smoke there for bringing it down a little bit. There's no doubt about that. This is a, Five-star, top-notch effort from John Carpenter, Deborah Hill, and everyone involved. 
And not, not to mention, too, we didn't really talk a lot about how well Jamie Lee Curtis did in this movie. I mean, like, for, no her, doubt. for her first movie, like, yeah. she's fucking, you know, she knocks it out of the park, man. I mean, yeah. even if she'd never done another horror movie, she's an all-time scream queen just for this movie, right? Yeah, straight up. And as it turns out, she did do quite a few other ones. Well, uh, I don't think we've done any of other ones yet, right? Well, other than mother's horror movies. roles. <laughs> Well, the we, other than the wing movies, yeah, Mother's Boys and the newer ones. That was, I think, yep. but yeah. Uh, but we're almost done, but not quite. Connections from the crates. Yeah, right. All right. So yeah. Um, I mean, if this is your first time kind of joining us, uh, what we do with uh, Crypt Connections, we connect the current movie episode uh, by any cast or crew connections to past Spook Show episodes. So for Halloween 1978, um, we look back at the cast, uh, the most uh, the cast member with the most connections uh, to the Spook Show would be Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, plays Laurie Strode. She dates back to when we did um, Halloween from 2018, Halloween Kills, Halloween Ends, and Josh's favorite, Mother's Boys. Um, and also the uh, on the crew side, probably no surprise here, uh, John Carpenter, um, also for the same three recent trilogy movies, as well as The Thing. From nineteen eight, no, I'm sorry, nineteen eighty two. So yeah, that's uh, that would be the connections for Halloween nineteen seventy eight. All right, thanks for that, Donnie. Kill. 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 All right, uh, I came up with uh, uh, five deaths. Uh, we have uh, Judith who got stabbed. Got the mechanic who I'm assuming was just bludgeoned to death. Uh, Annie who was strangled and then uh, her throat cut. Uh, Bob who got stabbed through the chest, and Linda who was strangled with the phone cord. Well, you're heartless. I know. So that leads us to let's talk about the kill reel. Highlight kill. I think this is a pretty simple one, in my opinion. I'm going to go with Bob getting stabbed and pinned to the wall. I think that's one of the more iconic kills. Because some of the other ones, you know, there's what one or two that are off screen. And some of the other ones are just like that weak-ass one with the, what is Annie in the car? (laughs) She goes cross-eyed, stuff like that. So, like, and you can't count what happens with Michael, right? Because Michael. So yeah, I think I think I'm gonna go with Bob getting uh, stabbed and pinned to the wall as Michael stares at him as he takes his last breaths. Gore school. Well, we've already kind of discussed this. There's uh, not much gore or even blood splatter a whole lot in this movie, but it. As we've also said, it was effective without it, just as Texas Chainsaw Massacre was effective with a very minimal body count and splatter. Uh, so, as I usually do, as, as the gore score is based on Chaz Balin's gore score from back in the 80s, 
I'm going to defer to what he gave it. Usually what I do is if there's an older movie that is covered by him in like Deep Red Horror Handbook or whatever that he's given a score for, I'll I'll review that and then kind of see if I, you know, maybe change a little bit depending on the times because there's been a lot more super gory movies that have come out, you know, since then, since that time period. So sometimes I'll adjust it. For this one, though, I'm going to go with Chaz's where he gave it a three. I'm going to keep it as a three as well. I think that's fair enough for it. Very minimal splatter and, and gore, but it doesn't definitely doesn't need it. It's effective without it. Yeah, for, for a movie that has the reputation, like, the, you know, as the first slasher and Michael Myers and everything's killing machine and all that, very little gore. So I, I think it's I think it's pretty fair. So if you're gauging your viewing experience based on the gore score, I think that's a pretty fair assessment of it. There, yeah, there's some messed up stuff here, and there's nudity and stuff like that, but um, not a lot of blood, you know, for a, a movie of this type. So I think it's fair. So. Which- yeah, like I said, it's probably budgetary mainly. I mean, they're probably trying to keep that down some. So yeah, didn't want to go with elaborate stuff, and uh, or maybe it was just a conscious decision. I haven't ever heard a heard him in a, in any interview about that why why it was almost bloodless, but it works. Well, needless to say, we highly recommend you checking out Halloween if you haven't. Hopefully, we haven't completely ruined the experience for you if you haven't watched it and you've listened to this entire thing. But if you have, trust me, there's some other stuff you need to you need to witness it, even though we've spoiled it for you. You need to see it for yourself if you haven't. So, run. Yeah, so crawl out from that rock that you've been living under if you haven't seen it. Yeah, since for the last <laughs> literally 45 years you've had yeah. to watch this movie. Well, let's face <laughs> it, you know, that's not the, I would imagine that's not the case here. I'm sure anyone listening to this has probably watched it. No. So we've, like I said, we've seen it a hundred times and we'll all see it a hundred times more. So just a fucking classic horror flick. And honestly, we might have, we might have found our highest rated movie for next the next book show awards already this year. Right. Cause this counts for next. Maybe year. so. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if we're talking about this one being the highest rated one. Yeah. All year. So it's certainly going to be in there. Yeah. So speaking of that, uh, we're about to wrap up our year. This is kind of the end of the year and the beginning of the year, so to speak. Next week we celebrate our anniversary, but this isn't just any old regular anniversary. This is our fifth anniversary we started in 2018 and we've made it all the way here to the year 2023 so a lot of ups lots of downs but here we are <laughs> we're we're still alive somewhere in, uh, in the middle of the road we found donnie hitchhiking we picked him up yep. in the last last few years so it's been it's been something so come celebrate with us next week where the the gimmick that we always do every year on our anniversary which is always a lot of fun for us it's a chance for us to re-rate the movies that we've done over the past year. So if, you know, say six months ago, Donnie gave a movie three stars and he's thought about it some more. Maybe he's watched it again since then. And he decided, you know what? I'm going to give that two stars. It sucked. This is his chance to do that, but this is the only chance that we get to re-rate stuff. So you want to come back next Monday at 6 PM East, like usual, except we're actually going to release it. We usually release it on Halloween, but we're going to kind of get, what about uh, a six-hour jump start on Halloween, and we're going to release it Monday night at 6 p.m. East. So wherever you get your podcast, go check it out over on the YouTube channel, all the places we are, and, of course, com. So for Will, Donnie, Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show, and we'll see you next week as we celebrate five years of the Spook Show. Please replace the speaker on its rack when you're ready to leave. 
Failure to do so will damage both the speaker and your car. We'll be grateful, and so will the patrons who follow you.